What's up, y'all? It's Patrick. As always, thank you so much for listening to us here on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Before we begin this episode, if you could toss us a rating, we would greatly appreciate it. It helps us spread the vibe of our little podcast here. And if you ever want to practice online with us, you can join us at communeyogastudio.com. Your first seven days are free, and you could practice any number of our classes. We have three brand new classes every single day, as well as practice paths to guide your yoga journey. Look forward to sharing space with you and enjoy this episode. We got a full cast of characters here today. We got a good energy going. We got a good vibe. PB, I'm here. Kim. Carling. CJ. For all the for all the listeners out there only, of course, <laughs> if you're watching this on video, I feel like that moment's a little bit awkward, but it kind of is what Just it is. Just the roll call. <laughs> yeah. Just see, maybe we could have everybody rap in the beginning. I feel like that would be a good vibe. It could be a good vibe. Mm-hmm. Or it's not going to be good rapping. <laughs> <laughs> it might be a vibe, but it's not going to be good rapping. A vibe. Yeah. So it's so, like rap of now. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> this is a funny, uh, a funny question. Carly and I were actually talking about on the way over here, and then she confirmed it with apparently scientific research. So, do y'all have songs that are stuck in your head from like a moment of time when you were anywhere between eleven and fourteen years old? And that, that that piece of the song never leaves. Like you could, you're, you'd just be walking down the street and then all of a sudden this piece of the song that you listen to, maybe a lot or maybe just a little bit when you're 14 years old, comes into your mind. Maybe. Is it just maybe. you? Is it just me? Well, the research was about your music taste when you're like, I think for boys it was 11 to 14 and girls maybe it was like 14 to 16 or something like that. No, girls was younger. Girls was younger. Okay, so it's this window between, let's call it 11 and 15-ish. Yeah. That whatever your music taste was then tends to carry through to your 30s that Spotify did a big study where it's like, when, however old people were at a certain time, they still streamed those same songs at their in like from 30 to 40 years old. So, a couple different studies were confirming that your most impressionable or most open to impression at that time then sticks with you, and it's why like as an adult, you like the same kind of music, oh even as. Are you, are you, are you, Having a realization. Are you having a realization as I'm to why you like rap music? Yes, why I like. Okay, being a weird old person, I love rap music. I mean, I I love it. Like, you know, I like the vibe. I love it. And so when I was growing up, I very curiously, my favorite artists were Marvin Gaye, Al Green, Earth, Wind, and Fire. Sensing a theme mm-hmm. here. Yeah, there was, a, there was, a, there was an yeah. energy to it. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, and uh, love that music. And I still... Still, still like an R&B kind of... And, and, you know, like I, I, put, I put you on the child the other yeah. day. Oh, You've been jamming it. Oh, Big Jim doesn't it. like it as much, but... <laughs> I love it, yeah. And I even like the Sufjan Stevens where he does the whole rap thing. Yeah. You know, that's my favorite one. And it's like, that is really weird because Suf is a... You know, totally. More of an indie guy. Yeah. I mean, more of an indie guy. Do you think that's why you have those punk rock roots? Were you jamming to the punk music? Yeah, I, I don't feel like my taste has changed. It's just grown. Yeah. yeah. Like I wouldn't say any, I, I haven't dropped any of artists that I've listened to before. So that's kind of the study is that I don't at drop a certain em. point, your openness to exploration drops, right? Sometime in your 30s, you're less open to finding new artists. Therefore, you stick with those same ones. 
So ours ours is always... different because I'm always looking for new music because of yoga and yoga. just other, other things. So I, I, I Jim got think me on that, though. I think you need to remove the preface because of yoga. I think in your soul, you are always looking for more that's music. True. That's true. I would, I would say I do. I do. I set my, I set a, t- I have a timer set for <laughs> 9 p.m. on Thursday night because we're three hours behind the East Coast time. So we get that new music Spotify you get that drop at, yeah. at Thursday. Uh, but yoga definitely has... Uh, opened it to different avenues. I would say I wasn't really into lo-fi beats by any means until kind of yoga and some of the softer avenues. Um, but I would definitely say I still listen. I still go back to some of the old roots. But I would say I don't... It, that I have to feel like nostalgic. I can't just... That was one of the questions mm-hmm. was, is it because of nostalgia, like what it felt like to be a 14-year-old? Or is it because of this lack of openness to new things as you get older? Oh. Like from an evolutionary standpoint, you're less likely to be open to things. So it, does that trend hold true in the study? Again, like a study because of nostalgia or because at a certain age, you're just not going to try new things as much anymore. So you go back to what, when you were really impressionable. I will say I don't necessarily like the songs <laughs> from that age in my life that continue to run through my head. Like I wouldn't say they're my favorite songs or even songs I would ever listen to um, you know, again or even since that period of time. It feels more like they're memories. Like I can, I can remember walking to the Bellevue Club, which is this place I used to play basketball at, and uh, listening to this specific CD and this one song. Like, I could just remember doing... It takes you right back. It takes me right back to that moment and, like, kind of coming out of our neighborhood and beginning to walk, you know, out of the that little area, I guess. And so that, that I just really remember that moment. But sometimes when I'm driving in the car, it also comes on because the lyric is about uh, driving in a car. Uh, and I probably wanted to drive in a car at that point because I was 14 and ambitious. So, you know, I was feeling like, I feel like, feeling like that was a possibility ready. for me. Yeah, of course. And Kim, uh, and Kim, was he ready? Yeah, well, always actually, good at driving. He, no, always he good at driving. has always been good at driving. Thank you. I mean, the, the, just checking. The, any of you people who um, are uh, know Seattle know the Mercer Suicide Merge. Yeah. And Patrick was making that almost every day when he was 15 years old. Yeah. I mean, without a blink of an eye. Yeah. And I'm just like, I have a heart attack doing that today. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it was just it was just part of the vibe. So I don't I don't really know. I guess it's it's an interesting thing to kind of ponder, consider of like what what shapes your taste. Uh, and something that came up uh, as we were having this discussion for me for you, CJ, is do you, do you think live music shapes your taste? Like you're saying you weren't into lo-fi. Do you think uh, until yoga? Do you think it was because there's really there's really no live lo-fi component. Do you know what I mean? Even if you love a lo-fi song, even if you love a lo-fi artist. Most lo-fi you, songs were rapped over, yeah, I would say. Mm-hmm. It would but never also, would you, would you really be as interested in seeing a lo-fi show live? Like it, doesn't, it feels more like music to do something to as opposed to music to see or experience, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah, I no, mean, I, I listen to a lot of lo-fi. Like I'm about it, but I yeah, I I definitely think that could that could shape shape it. And I also feel that unfortunately there's some bands and music that just work better at specific venues and mm-hmm. sometimes artists get too big for their own good and like I'm not trying to see rappers at stadiums or I mean it's okay at a festival because everybody's just having a good time but I'd rather see rap at like a small venue to where it's more closed off more intimate um to where so that's where I'd want to see like lo-fi so the I would say also the the venues play a huge important part of 
the best experiences. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I can confirm that with my experience with rap music. There's very few rappers that can do a big stadium show, and it's not because of their popularity at all. It's just because of the music. It's not as um, it, it's not as instrumental, I guess. And it's so too many lyrics. You lose. Just I mean, think lyrics, about. Yeah. I think about seeing Kanye at Coachella. That, this years is exactly years what ago. I was going to talk about. You're, if you're too far from the speakers, if you're in the wrong place, the acoustics are just too hard with so many lyrics. Like, mm -hmm. sure, at a Kanye show, you know all the words anyways, but like, for the most part, you can't hear most of the lyrics being said because it's it's not about that. Uh, the acoustics aren't set up for it. Yeah. It, it just reminds me of the difference between like that show we went to and the Yams Day show we went to, which was in a smaller theater off Madison Square Garden. And there was so many different rappers there, and it was just very exciting. The mm -hmm. room was very energetic. It was, it was about the energy all over the place. It was wild. Yeah, yeah, yeah one of the best shows so I've ever been to. Are you? This is not one of the Q and A's for today. Not one of the <laughs> questions. But I do think it's interesting this topic of like how music imprints memory on you, and you have this like visceral response to songs. Like you know, you hear things, and you're like, it transports you back. So when you think about music in your yoga class we all tend to play a decent amount of the lo-fi chill hop type beats. I think largely because they're not as lyrical. So you can kind of overlay them onto your instruction and things like that. But how do you think that plays into when you're planning your playlists or planning for class? Like, do you want to be transported to memories when you're, when you're adding music or are you trying to create something that's more blanket for your mm -hmm. students? Like when you're thinking about playlists, I'm just throwing this out to the group because I was just curious. When you think of that, throwing it back to you for a moment, when you think of that as a student in your own practice, mm -hmm. which do you prefer? As a student first, before we get into what we create, but as a student, like, do you like it when a song, like, <laughs> <laughs> like, for, like for example, if we were in class and disco shit came on, because that's your currently your favorite song that's that you can't right stop now. listening to, <laughs> it, what, what would you feel like? Would that, that would get you hyped up, I feel like. It would get you hyped up. It's true. It would get if me it hyped. hit at the right moment in the yeah. sequence, I feel like it would get you going. Like if we were doing handstand class and you and Shelby were over there on the other side yeah, of the wall. Shelby and I would be pumped up. And, 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 disco, and disco shit would be going. I feel like you'd be giving a little extra effort. Well, I kind of viscerally remember. So I think both. I think obviously if a teacher plays like a kind of heartbreaky song and you've just had a heartbreak, you're like, cool, thanks. Now I got to think about this all of Shavasana. But I also remember taking a class, oh God, a decade ago at Shakti. And I can't remember if it was Tina or Dora. One of them played an Erica Badu song. And I loved Erica Badu. I have since I was a kid, speaking of think, like artists you liked in adolescence. And I remember thinking, oh, this teacher kind of gets me. Like not that, it, and, you know, not that it was necessarily representative of them, but for some reason, because it was in the playlist, I felt like, oh, I felt more comfortable. Like it felt like a connection to them. And so I guess in that instance, it was nice to feel like somehow represented in the teacher's taste, you know? But at the same time, when I'm planning, I'm often not, I mean, I'm not trying to not be myself, but I'm also not trying to impart like experiences on my students when I'm planning a playlist. What do you think, Siege? Uh, as a student, I personally, I think I, I, I don't mind popular songs or songs that I like if it hits at the right moment. Mm -hmm. um, I'm very particular just because I'm particular in the world. <laughs> so uh, I, I personally don't like a lot of um, words at the beginning or end of practices. And I actually had a student come after me. 
or come not come after me. They were not. They were not. They came up to me after class and said, uh, "I was in a cl- I was in a class with them, and they said one of the songs I played just brought back like horrible memories, like mm-hmm. horrible memories. And um, I don't even remember what the song was, and it wasn't anything that was like even very lyrical, but it was just one of those things that you just yeah. also kind of don't know mm-hmm. what triggers people. Um, but I think playlists should be more of a like a composition. I think there should be a well beginning, middle, end, and depending on what the strenuous type of class it is or mellow type of class it is, there is a there is an order of operations in my opinion. So I think being able we want to talk about sequencing classes, sequencing your playlists, <laughs> like some of y'all need to just dive into that. <laughs> And so, again, I can yeah. say that because it's a preference thing, so there's not a right or wrong answer, but I'm right. So. Yeah. You're not wrong, but I'm right. <laughs> but I'll add to that. I had no idea before I started teaching in a studio and putting playlists together how time-consuming it is to do that, to do oh, a, yeah. a good playlist oh, yeah. for an hour and have that sense of, bringing people into class, creating whatever crescendo you want mm-hmm. to create, and then taking people out. I had no idea. And you probably, for the, what, 15 songs that are on a playlist, I would bet you spend four or five hours putting together a playlist. I think you can. It's really time-consuming. Actually, we just I don't this. do them in bulk. I do them over time. So, so do that, I. That's, that's the big thing that I've shifted out of Yeah. that's really mm-hmm. helped me make playlists. You mean just make them periodically? No, I'm kind of like working on four at a time. So oh. you're, you're putting them into buckets. Me too. Yeah. I have a potential yeah. yogas category yeah. in my Spotify. I like something, I chuck it in there. And mm-hmm. then when I want to make a new playlist, I go back to that and I say, oh, I forgot I put this one in here. I forgot this, 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 and see what but, fits. But how you sequence them to together like you can have some great music but it's that one moving into the other mm-hmm. one moving into the other one moving into the other one I, I just and when you get a good one it is they last for a while oh yeah and, and you then can it's feel like it oh when god you're teaching, do I too. <laughs> yeah. they, they still they still last but then you come back to them like a year later and you're like oh this cut really? oh god like, I look one? at some playlists from like uh, that I a lot of them I've removed from my Spotify because many of them are public and I don't want anyone to know that I ever taught to these <laughs> playlists that you look back and I think why would I think that was a good choice mm-hmm. like why would I have put that song in here why would I have wanted it's just part to of the show? experience and it was and I think it's just your evolution as a teacher to what you want to practice to and what you want to teach to, or your style. Like if your style of teaching is more wordy than having a bunch of songs that have a lot of words is hard for the practitioner. Right. It's hard for the teacher, but it's also hard for the practitioner. What do you want them to focus on? Do you want them mm-hmm. to listen to the lyrics or do you want them to listen to you? And I think that's part of why chill hop and lo-fi has had such a big like entrance into yoga playlists over the last couple of years is that same thing. It's like, it's the kind of music you can do something to mm-hmm. and it's non-intrusive, but it is kind of a good vibe. I also think one of the biggest things you need to know when making your own playlists for class or at least something I really try to focus on myself is being aware of my own voice. Mm -hmm. So I can talk all day long, but my voice isn't inherently big. And I actually learned this when I was teaching in a lot of big rooms or as as the room sizes I was teaching in began to grow and grow is that I really couldn't have bigger songs in my playlists a lot because my voice doesn't carry like that. It's not big like that. My voice is very like middle line. It's very straightforward and it's very clear, but it doesn't go that, it's not boisterous. It's not like 
don't know. This is no. Uh, I think your uh, voice uh, can get overpowered. I think yeah, you're right. 100%. That you your voice is soothing and it's fairly steady. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You're not that sing-songy. It's not up and down. Some teachers are so punchy. I'm, I'm here. just very conversational. Yeah. I'm, very, so I'm very in dialogue. You have to be able to punch above your music if you're going to play really intense stuff. You know, there yeah. are teachers that are playing, whether it's hip hop or whatever it is, or it's loud, intense music, and you can feel their energy have to rise above the music. And it's also a lot of energy to carry as a teacher. If you're going to play music like that all the time, you got to teach it like a 10 all the time to yeah. try to be over that. It's a different energy. Mm -hmm. As a student, though, I think as long as the playlist works, I don't mind what's on it. You know what I'm saying? I think mm -hmm. just as long as it fits the experience of the class. Mm -hmm. uh, if some, it's really wordy or if it's really musical, I think the biggest, my biggest pet peeve when it comes to music and I feel like everybody's probably heard me say this, but in case you haven't in class, is when you play instrumentals of popular songs. I think it is the biggest mistake <laughs> because what ends up happening, or this is what ends up happening to me, is so I don't want to speak for anybody, I don't want to speak anybody. Yeah, no, I'm, no, I'm waiting for the song. Mm -hmm. I'm waiting for the lyrics to drop. Mm. So I remember this one class I was taking, um, yeah, probably about a decade ago uh, at a studio we used to practice at, and they, it was probably back when they had to like burn CD, when you were bringing a burned CD to class to play. I feel like this is I don't is what, think I ever brought a burned CD I to definitely class. didn't do that. I was, I was a little, like, I was I a little think, bit after this time. Yeah, I, 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 just, I remember when we, at studios we would teach at, they would have the CD player and they would have like burned yoga music mm -hmm. CDs right there. They just so play like a Steve Gold CD for the entire That, that or uh, just like oh, random, random you, piano you music. You just brought it back <laughs> for me. There's the visceral memory. I had one too. Waves. The waves are like they're coming in. They're coming in. They, and sometimes, and sometimes, God, no. and sometimes oh they never I'm stop coming in. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> uh, but they, the, anyways. Maybe a Krishna Das CD. Uh, the, back in the height of Florence and the Machines, Dog Days Are Over, this teacher looped the instrumental of Dog Days Are Over four times back to back to back to back. And I was like, what's Florence? The first time I was like, oh, cool, like Florence and the Machine. Like I'm listening to indie music too. And I probably just read an interview where she, she was talking about the album and then like, oh, we're going to see her at festival, yada, yada. And then I was like, oh, wow, like we've done a lot of poses and we're still on this. I wonder if she does a really big opening to this song. Like I was thinking like it was one of those songs <laughs> you know, where the, art, the artist plays for about four minutes. And then I was like, I don't remember that when I've listened to this on my own, but I don't know. Is this maybe a I'm secret live set? That's just, that just got a whole world. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, it's instrumental. And, and then I've known a lot of other teachers that do that, do it. And... Um, you find it more distracting, oh, it's, not it's less the, distracting. It's the most because distracting. It's the most distracting <laughs> thing to me in a song isn't um, the content of the song. It's actually the lack of content in the song if it's in relationship to a, a popular song that people just know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like it was a really like a very famous beat. Like if you heard the beginning to Jesus Walks, right? Boom, 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 like that, right? You'd be like, oh. Kanye you're West, Jesus Walks. You're like, oh, wait, when's it coming? And it's it, it, not. It, it's not. And you're just like, wow. Like, that just took me somewhere mm -hmm. else. Rather than being. Rather than, mm -hmm. yeah. rather than it being something that's I like immersive. I think that's the big focus of a lot of playlists is how do you, you want to transport people, like you want to cultivate an experience. And as a practitioner, I want to walk into a studio and have an experience. Mm -hmm. Like I, whether it's my own experience or the teacher's experience, like that's kind of the reason you show up instead of doing a home practice. 
So, but I don't want that experience to be a complete distraction. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, let's go. Like, the whole point is to, like, kind of tune in. So if your music is more distracting than it is, I don't know, centering or, like, grounding here, then, yeah, then you're not really achieving what you're going for with your playlists. Is there anybody you have liked listening to when you practice at home or in your own classes recently? Mm, This is literally the hardest question to answer on the spot. I was just thinking, what have I been teaching to lately? I just think it's so funny. Like you, you could know all this stuff, but because the way we consume music now is so much broader than it ever was before. Whenever somebody asks you that, you don't have a reference to that burn CD that you made in your car or (laughs) Carly's mix 2014. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Or the, the album that you just most recently purchased. And so it's so much, your knowledge base is so much broader and you touch so many different points, but your focus on like one or two artists isn't as isn't as there. CJ, don't you just put on an album when you teach? Yeah, lately I've been doing albums. I listen to the new Kings uh, album. Uh, listen to that. I always listen to Kinship or formerly known as Favela. I don't know why I changed his name. Well, I do, but it is what it is. Uh, and uh, Ryx, we listen mm-hmm. to him quite a bit. That's He's good. really good. Any anyone that's like doesn't overbear, or like like even to be honest, I love. Um, Travis Scott's Astro World because I can't really understand anything he says <laughs> and I love I and I don't turn it up like crazy loud yeah. but I'm just constantly you like the beats yeah I do good. I do yeah but that's like the only album that I really listen to of his like I can listen to almost all the songs right. why not what do I play I play when I'm teaching Mellow Flow I often play just East Forest because it's feel good mm-hmm. yoga music it makes me it makes me feel like I'm in a yoga studio doing yoga, teaching yoga. And so I like that. It's also not distracting. I feel like it keeps me on cadence. I listen to Jose Gonzalez too when I teach mm-hmm. uh, mellow stuff a lot. And then sometimes when I teach mobility, I usually put on a bunch of bangers. Like I just t- put on some mm-hmm. louder hip hop, like something, because I feel like I've got the energy. So I was putting like an entire Kendrick album because I'm like, well, I'm going to have to get excited to do these weird things that you guys are going to do with me in mobility. So I might as well have some energy behind it. Yeah, I, sometimes, yeah, I, in your mobility class, I need a little... I need a little pump. A little pump, <laughs> yeah, because i got to gather up uh-huh. that energy to stick with that third yeah. round. Whatever the third... <laughs> well, and in the mobility classes, there's no, there's not a necessary arc, you know, of mm-hmm. a yoga class where yeah. I need that energetic, like, because I hate practicing pranayama or teaching pranayama when there's music in the background. Mm-hmm. Like, I could listen to very instrumental, but I can't. I don't know. My brain just can't multitask in that way. So I need the playlist to kind of arc with that. But in mobility, I'm not doing pranayama. I'm not doing a shavasana, any of those things. So you can kind of just like put on something that you like that feels good and then do it, which is nice. I've been listening to a lot of FKJ and Maverick Sabre. Those are probably the two that I've been. I've been consistent with them for a long time. We've been riding together. So... (laughs) Um, have you guys had any aha moments in your practice? That's a Q&A question that came through mm-hmm. this week. Any like aha recently moments? or in general? Yeah, recently. No, you know, yes. I was like, in general, yeah, lots. <laughs> recently? Have I recently, had- whether it's movement-based, whether it's physical, whether it's really anything, any aha moments, anything that's... Clear. We were kind of talking about um, the other day about how, like, honestly, you want to really dive deeper into your practice take the 12 steps of owning your body and like owning yourself owning where you're at owning what uh your limitations are your strengths are and that's been like lately for me that's given me just so much freedom into um growing my practice and not really worrying about fitting it into a specific box so 
that's been helpful for me. Mm-hmm. I like that. You? I'm still thinking about my aha moment. <laughs> I'm still thinking. I'm still thinking. Come back to me. Do you have any? Uh, yeah, sure. I, I think one of the, the most interesting things that I've learned about my own practice this year is from doing so much stuff on video and, and also assessing the video so much, essentially because we've been doing so much talk over stuff or TT or breakdowns, is the... We always talk about the alignment of your intention and your action in your practice, but I think there's a really interesting connection between making something possible and how you're making that possible and the difference between what you think you're doing in that process. Mm-hmm. So for example, when I'm, op- when I'm open, quote unquote, um, in my body and you know, I feel very easy moving through, let's say, Urdhvadhanyarasana. Like I feel that there's a lot happening there. And in reality, there's not that much aesthetically happening there. Mm-hmm. And I think it's very interesting because it, not only does it feel good, but it feels open and, and more things feel available. And even still in that reality, there's not as much of a massive physical change. And so I think it's really interesting to... Um, to be aware of that or to be mindful of it because it's not, not to saying it ever needs to be aesthetically different, but, but just that there's a, what you feel is, is it, it brings me to the point of what you feel is what matters. I was going to ask mm-hmm. you, like, what does that make you think? Did it make you feel disappointed when you see it? Like, wow, this felt big and expansive and, and awesome. And it doesn't give me that same feeling when I look at it. Or did it make you feel like, oh, well, I don't know if I need to look at it because it felt awesome when I did it. Um, it, It's more, um, I get more inquisitive towards how other things become possible, to be honest with you. It's Mm -hmm. less around the aesthetic of something because I'm I'm not as interested in the aesthetic of anything. I'm really interested in in the how and the why. Um, And so the, what's interesting about it is I feel that like my hips are really high as we're talking about wheel just as a, as a concept, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I feel that my hips are higher, that my spine is moving. And so when I do something like a rotational bridge or a circle wheel or I um, QDR out of wheel pose, it's, uh, I, I feel that, so for example, because Shelby's the one that does the weird stuff too. Um, <laughs> when I see Shelby do it, I've, think I may be in a similar range to make it possible because she's the other person who I'm seeing make the thing possible. And yet when I do it, I'm making it possible, but in a completely different physical manner. Mm -hmm. And, and there's, it's really interesting because just in that comparison, we both have different levels of control and levels of range. And so that is, um, it's a unique, I don't know. It's just like a unique thing to, I guess, realize more than criticize like I don't I don't feel mad about any of it or or any negative emotion towards it it's just it's just really oh wow like I make that possible by doing these three things and it's really something that we actually talk about all the time which is that your body is more intelligent than you think it is and so if you are requesting your body to do something it is going to find a way to do that thing it just is going to be in the body's most efficient way in your natural or current state of being which may not be the pattern that you actually want to have 
moving always. Yeah, I mean, the body is going to usually find the path of least resistance, right? No, no it is. Going I think to this do is that. interesting because I think what you're saying is exactly true for for most people. If you are actually looking at your practice in the, a, a very visual way, which often you and I are forced to do, or all of us here now are, as right. we put things online, you kind of are like confronted, and not necessarily in a negative way, but like this is my practice. This is what I'm doing. And so you mm -hmm. see it and often you're multitasking, teaching other things, but it's really different than usually the experience is so like, you know, in the old school terms, like eyes on your own mat, you're not thinking about what you look like. And so it's a really different experience. And what you're saying just, it's, it's like what we tell students all the time when they're trying to figure out how can I do this posture? How can I work through this? And it's like, well, it's going to be a little bit different for everyone. You know, these proportions that you have might lend it better this way or that way. And it's so interesting to understand something academically, but then that aha moment of like, oh, this is actually how it works in my body is such a different experience of it. Yeah. It's really weird to look at your own physicality all the time. I'm like, wow, I'm so long from knee to collarbone. Like, <laughs> You're like measuring I'm, proportions yeah, at all moments. Like I'm, I'm so long in that range. I'm like, oh, that's so weird. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Top of kneecap to collarbone. I was like, that is where mm -hmm. like I have a lot of length in my body. And it's very funny to, to see that and to know it. And it's, it's, it's funny to me because it's kind of all I see when I move oh. a lot of the time. Once like you, you see it, you can't unsee it. Once you see it, you kind of can't unsee it. And so, so I don't know what I'm saying. This is maybe that's all you'll see. This is like once you told me that my arms were long, like once we measured my ape index and realized my arms were really long. Yeah. Every time a Facebook memory pops up for me that's like a picture of me in college where I'm standing in a row with a bunch of girls with my arm on my hip, like the typical kind of sorority hip pop stance, all I can see now is how long my arm is compared I'm to every other one of my of friends. Very, very jealous every, My arm is like, my humorous bone is like three inches longer than every girl I've ever grown up with. And every photo now I look at it and I'm wearing some sort of like party top tank top. And I'm like, oh, there's my arm. There's my arm. It, it's there in every, every picture. Every photo. I cannot look at any, like any, The funny thing page. too is because you're so short, you're always at yeah. the end of the line. And so you're, the line kind of curves. And so you're it's also forward and the then camera. your elbow is even more forward to and camera. You shoulder forward. It's yeah. the whole thing. And it's like, oh my, oh my gosh, God. gracious. So it's even more exaggerated in, in the lens. Oh my God. Every time I can't unsee it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I can't unsee it. It's just there. It's part of it. <laughs> do you, so do you have your aha moment for your practice? Speaking I don't know. Honestly, I don't feel like I've had an aha moment of recent in my practice. I feel like my practice. I'll disagree with that. You? Oh, you do? Do you? Yeah. Did I have one and I already forgot it? I just it? think that you. I'm a little sleep deprived. So I believe that, I believe that I did and that I forgot it. Uh, I think the aha moment in your practice just isn't physical. I think it's that you realize how strong your anatomical knowledge is. Like when you, as you for all the stuff that we've created this year around anatomy and around, you know, stretch physiology if you will and all these other things, uh, how you really do know your stuff. And I think it's been like a confirmation um, and hopefully an elimination of the imposter syndrome that you probably had at one point or another around your own knowledge. I think that's probably true. I took a test in a, a course I was taking a couple weeks ago and I took the test and I spent the whole test being like, oh my God, do I know this stuff? I don't know if I, like, this is really complex stuff. This is maybe way above me. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. And then I finished the test and I only missed one question. Mm -hmm. And I went back through the questions. I was like, oh my God, I actually got, I knew this. Like mm -hmm. I, I was... 
impressed with myself, but also I doubted myself the entire time I took the test, and it's just it was interesting. Oh, that's typical Carly fashion. Yeah, yeah that's, that's a typical happy. Harvey fashion too. To be honest <laughs> with you, as everybody can attest, Harvey has to like tap her feet in the water, tap her feet in the water come back a day later, tap her feet in the water, still tap there. her feet in the water, talk still Talk about there. the water talk for, for 48 it. hours. Work, work through it in her mind, and then once she's in, she's in. You're the same way. Like, that is the true <laughs> physical embodiment <laughs> between totally connection true. between you and our daughter mm-hmm. is just that quality. Yeah, I don't doubt that at all. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't doubt that. It's going to keep her out of a lot of trouble. She's just a, just a, a little mm-hmm. bit of overanalyzation, but you know, a lot of, yeah. of well-thought-out choices. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I guess. Mom, any, any aha yeah, moments? I had a couple this year because, again, I never have taught online before, yeah. right? So um, it's been so much fun to um, take everyone's classes because one of the other things that's interesting is I have gotten, and in part because of I teach the gentle classes and then yin, which are very different than what you guys teach. They're not in quite... the set. Now you're cooking. Oh, in the set and the set, but it follows the same thing. They're not particularly, um, we stay within parameters. Mm-hmm. Right. And, um, but what I've gotten really, really curious about is movement and transitions. And, um, when you lift, when you extend, when you, and what it takes to do those things. And I don't mean just in a, oh gosh, I want to cue everything along the way. I mean, I've just gotten genuinely curious about, oh, I'm lifting. How, what does that feel like? What is making that happen? And, and I just think that has opened up an entirely new, like, dimension for me. And in also helping people, not necessarily that you need to analyze every single little component, but it really does help you in basic things to understand that there is a sequence to getting you to the pose, and then there's a sequence, like a packing and unpacking. And, um, and if you get those building blocks, then you have a really good base to move from into other things. And then you also, to your point about um, like, something being accessible in your body versus not. I think what's really interesting is you may find your way into a pose and um, oh, and because of your body the way it is, you may do it this way. But where you're not going to come up against the limitations of it is until you try and do that next thing with it. See what I'm yeah. saying? When you're trying to transition to maybe something more complicated, especially like I'm thinking of things where you go to an inversion yeah. or come out. If you are um, you figuring out the pattern that you need to do in order to be prepared to do the next thing is part of where all of that stuff comes in. And that's like geeking out on all this stuff. But the bottom line is it's been really fun for me. And then the other thing um, that is probably the most um, uh, important thing for my practice is I have this year completely, this may sound terrible, but I have no posture goals. Yeah. None. Does it feel nice? It feels fabulous. Yeah. Because I absolutely am loving just experiencing the practice. I love it. Yeah. I, I- 
that, and so that's where yeah. those are my two things mm -hmm. right now. No, and not it, to say they're. I think that's. I think that's part of the reason that we all teach, right? And part of the reason that we all love yoga is the experience of the class. It's not. And it's part of the reason I always say, like, I'm not interested in aesthetics, mm -hmm. and it's it's not because it's because I think what matters is feeling good. I think mm -hmm. what matters is finding joy in what you're doing, and the reality of everything is that there's certain things you have to do in, that are challenging, that are hard, right? And some of those things are in your yoga practice. And, so, and there's a certain amount of challenge that you like. But for like 95, or probably even higher, like 98% of people, if you have real aesthetic goals, you shouldn't be in yoga because Agreed. it's not going to get you to your aesthetic and, and to, yeah, into any sort of pace. Yeah. Like mm -hmm. that if you really want an, an aesthetic change, you need to add in like very hyper-focused elements. I think CJ and I were talking a little bit about this in last week's podcast when we were talking about like how do you grow in your practice or something along those lines we were talking about like, hey, like really trying to hone in on one or two things mm -hmm. and like investing your time. Like, they, that's how you're going to grow. And it's not from a class experience because like a class experience is a class experience. It's designed to... Uh, help you feel something is designed to help you become more in tune and more awake. It's not designed to help you Im like improve your mobility of your spine by 10% at the end of the session. You well, know what like I'm saying? Just because you do the splits in the yoga class, yeah. that yoga class isn't going to necessarily teach you to do the splits. Or it's, or or is it's, it's, not, it's not splits to, training. It's not I think splits is a better, training. Like yes. if you want to learn to do the splits, there are way more efficient ways to learn to do yes. the splits. Splits training. That, splits <laughs> training. <laughs> uh, yeah. Like then there are, then going to a yoga class just because splits are included. And I yes. think that's a common misconception is because oftentimes yoga is just portrayed as like, you know, some stretching or this, that, and the other. And people think like, oh, I'll just go to yoga and I'll get these things. And yeah, maybe we were talking about this about how to progress your parks, but that unless you're doing continuing education and doing workshops and doing spe specific training, otherwise things are just going to show up along the way, maybe. Yeah. Well, but there's no like th there's a good yoga's not a linear path in any stretch of the imagination. I think a good example, to be honest with you, is two pieces of content that I've made semi recently, right? So, uh, comparing the tuck handstand continuing education course that we created with the begin handstand practice path that you can now practice on uh, coming online, mm -hmm. right? So the tuck handstand continuing education course is specifically focused on helping you learn tuck handstand. There's no other there's no yoga it. classes. It's not. There's it's no... not. A, it's not a yoga. There. There are some handstand classes. But there's from not here. like extra other yoga things. There's not. And there's some not. There's not a yoga component yeah. to it. It's much more of a training component, right? There's. There's specific mobility classes that are designed to help you with your tuck handstand. There's specific drills that are designed to help you with your tuck handstand. There's specific mini classes that are designed to help you with tuck handstand. There's. But there's nothing else to it. Besides Probably no that. warrior twos. Probably no warrior twos. Yeah. <laughs> it's. 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 it's a training program you know what I'm saying and it's there's a lot of good um, movement pattern information to be gathered there's a lot of good body knowledge information to be gathered but it's it's truly a training training focused activity right whereas the begin handstand course um, while there's elements of the same thing it's merely designed to be an eight to ten minute supplemental thing you do at the beginning or end of your yoga practice you know what I'm saying? There's like, it's just very simple, like practical ways to help you get upside down. 
right? And it's, it's not handstand training. It's just like helping you get comfortable with handstand and some very simple parameters to make that possible. Well, it's, it's doing more handstand specific things yes. in the realm of yoga, exactly. right? So it's like a step towards a more linear progression to yeah, it, it, but it's not the full boat like, it would hey, be now a good, we are training for it this. It would be a good thing to do um, if you're somebody that wants to hop towards handstand in our classes, right? So mm-hmm. it would be a great little supplement Which is a, another good example of things that people often think, okay, I'm going to go to class and I'm just going to, one day I'm gonna, just going to jump forward. Mm-hmm. One day my jump forward is going to be floaty <laughs> and it's going to be a handstand. I am absolutely a culprit in that like years ago thinking like I'm just going to practice. Thought that, I thought that for 10 years now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to do my five A's. I'm going to do my five B's. And I'm going to do handstands. Like, yeah. and it's just, you just, F- but 15 attempts a day is going to really get you there. That's, that's, you know, and you think that it's just, okay, I'm just going to do this and I'll just learn it. But realistically it takes more specific time off it. So even just adding an extra five, 10 minutes of something that's geared towards that will then make the time you're in class more fruitful in that way, because you're not necessarily trying to learn in class in the midst of an experience that's not geared towards that. Um, but you are able to employ something else you've been working on during those moments, which I think is a different approach than expecting to learn something just because you're doing it. Yeah. There's a, it all depends on what you want, I think is the best, is the best way to put it because I believe in the quality of experience because no matter what you want to do, it should bring you joy, right? Like this is something you're choosing to do. Mm -hmm. No, No matter who you are, you're choosing to practice. And so over time, that's going to help you work towards bringing you a joyful experience. And you may feel the same way training for something, right? Mm -hmm. Like whether you're training to run a marathon or training to do the splits or training to, I don't know, learn how to row a boat. Like there's there's all kinds of different things that you can, of course, train yourself to learn how to do. And maybe... um, and, and maybe that brings you a ton of joy as well. And, it, and by all means, learning things is amazing, so hopefully it does. But in the yoga class experience, there's the learning phase, which is actually much more simple than people make it. Mm-hmm. And then there's, and then once you learn, then you're participating. Mm-hmm. And it's, a, it's really a, quite a low barrier to entry. It actually is something that... Uh, um, a teacher out in London named Stuart Gilchrist said in one class that we were in a long time ago. And he was, he was like in his such the heaviest Scottish accent of all time. And I think he lathers it on bigger in the first 10 minutes of class. I think especially if he knows there's some new people in class. So he really, really can't understand what he's saying. Mm -hmm. He's a great teacher, by the way. So I'd please take that Mm -hmm. um, to the bank. But, uh, but yeah, he said this one time, which was like, like don't don't make this complicated. Like if we brought a whole bunch of footballers out here, they would learn all of this stuff in two weeks. They may not be good at any of it, but they would learn how to do all the moves. The moves are not complicated. It's about how you're doing the moves and the mindfulness to the moves and what the the moves and the experience make you feel, right? And again, obviously that's a paraphrase of what he said because there would be a lot of other mm-hmm. language nuance <laughs> in there um, if you've taken his class. But uh, I, I, it's something that always really rang true for me because it's – it's about putting yourself through the process of the practice, and the process of the practice isn't essentially training or learning. It's more of an experiencing, at least in my opinion. Well, I think that's part of why we call it a practice, right? Yeah. Because it is true. You can show up and learn the shapes and do the things. That's really not the hard part, right? Yeah. It's the interesting thing with having like asana goals uh, that 
you can, I think it's easy to get caught up in. Like, I really want to learn this one thing. I really want to learn this one thing. I really want to learn this one thing. And it's like, okay, well, there's always going to be more things. So like, that's an, part of it is cool that it's never ending, but part of it is like, well, what else am I missing along the way when I get tunnel vision over here for like the rest of this big expansive practice and every class experience I'm going to when I'm just thinking, okay, I got to get these jump forwards. I got to get these jump forwards. Well, <laughs> like, and I think that's where it gets tricky. When I said personally that I don't have any you know, posture or asana goals. It's, I'm working on a lot of stuff all the time, but if I don't quote unquote hit it in a class, my class has still been awesome. Yeah. <laughs> right? You're just not tied to the result. Yeah. It's, yeah. Just yeah. A nice yeah. it's just a you nice know, place to be. It's just fun. It's a really nice yeah. place yeah. to be. Yeah. It's yeah. a I'm really nice like, place. Okay. Yeah. It's, but, it's, it's always trying to move things, uh, from a performance to an informance. Like mm-hmm. how are you informing yourself about the journey? Right. Mm-hmm. And so maybe you, for example, for you with forearm balance, right? Mm-hmm. You nail it one day, you don't nail it the next day. Mm-hmm. And you're in the class that you take it the next day, you're like, oh, it didn't happen for whatever reason. You can be like, well, why didn't it happen? Right. And mm-hmm. you're like, well, maybe I wasn't as focused. Maybe the class was really fatiguing, or maybe I was just tight through the shoulder and it, mm-hmm. for whatever reason, it didn't open up space. And yeah. so the normal amount that you would jump to enter the pose wasn't enough to get you there or you were feeling a bit wobbly when you're up there so it didn't feel stable like there's all these different components that you know lead to um why something is or isn't working and if you allow yourself to be informed by your practice you begin to tap into those things and and really begin to understand the essence of why something is happening or not and why or why it is happening exactly whoa okay what did i do there yeah Yeah, you're like that was was so easy (laughs) Yeah, that's a good aha moment when you're yeah. like, oh my god, I did it, I did it, I did it. <laughs> this is the thing. Is anyone looking? Like, <laughs> Just like, <laughs> no eyes on your own mat. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It's not, nothing like that first handstand that you did in class, which you were pretty I'll much yelling at me it. to pay attention to. I was. I was like, Patrick, Patrick, you see this? You see this? I was, so I was like, I'm doing my own thing. <laughs> I was like, that? I am not. Please look at me in this handstand and confirm that it's <laughs> actually you know happening. <laughs> I was so so proud. That reminds me, actually, someone in the. Uh, Maya in our teacher training right now, just we have all these different asana clinics breaking things down and, you know, working through certain specific like categories of poses. But Maya posted a comment in the clinic on Bakasana on crow pose. And the comment was like in all caps, like Drishti does matter. She was like, I looked out ahead and oh my, oh God, my God, I could do it. And it was yeah. like, it totally does matter. Yeah. Like it is that is the aha moment of like, oh my God. Like, yeah, okay, I'm nervous. I'm nervous. I'm staring at the ground because I'm nervous. Like, what if I, oh shit. Like mm-hmm. it's just, it is that kind of aha moment, which is wonderful as a student. It's also so fun as a teacher because you can you can feel it across the room. Like mm-hmm. I could feel it through the all caps comment in <laughs> online training, but you can feel it across the room of like that excitement of when something clicks the why, and then the why it clicked of like, oh, okay. So every time I do crow, I'm going to look a little further ahead, yep. and then I can do crow every time. And it it's is, like you were all reaching out. Yeah, just, yeah all of us were like, yeah. Um, that it is. It's such, a, it's such a gratifying part of the practice that's very fulfilling. Yeah, I think it's wonderful and really quite beautiful when you realize that everything matters, and everything only matters as much as it does to you when it comes to your practice. Mm-hmm. Right? So, like, all the details, every cue, like, they all matter. They're all there for a reason. But how much it matters to you is up to you. Like, like the, the, to the detail, to the degree, to the focus you want to take it to, that's always up to you. It's, it's funny, we were doing, in our teacher trainings, um, we 
I read people's practices, right? So we'll go through and I'll analyze some of a lot of the body movements and it's, I always am like, look, these are just recommendations because at the end of the day, it's your choice if this is something you want to focus on, like based on whoever it is that I'm looking at, like there's probably eight things that you could that might be helpful that might be helpful or that that would improve the pattern of the movement not just to some sort of perfect alignment but to the overall quality of the movement and the awareness of the space and what you want to activate but again that's up to the student like if 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 stepping forward or jumping forward is not of of interest to them in their practice then why emphasize it like it's some it's an activity that you're taking on like yes having a good step forward and having a good jump forward dramatically improve other parts of your practice. I think it's the lowest hanging fruit. And I think it's something that really everybody should focus on, but that's just my opinion. You know what I'm saying? And, and I I believe there's a truth to that opinion, but if somebody else doesn't feel that because it's, it's still their practice, right? Well, and it's also just such like a, it's, it's personal, it's stylistic, it's, it's lineage based, right? In vinyasa style yoga, yeah, how you get forward to the top mat matters because we do it a bazillion times a class. But if you're a Iyengar practitioner, you do mainly like slower, what's often called hatha based yoga, like it doesn't really matter how you step forward because it's not mm-hmm. really the point, right? It's not mm-hmm. the focus. You might do most things from standing. So there's always some pattern, some something that I feel like you could focus on that you could choose to hone in on. But like, is it useful to you? Is it useful what you're doing? Then that's also dependent on so many other things. Yeah, I don't disagree. Siege, you still there? I'm there. I'm just li- <laughs> yeah, I'm listening. You guys are adding on, great Siege. insight. You guys are adding great insight. People want to know what is on tap for this weekend, Strength and Stability Foundations. What do you got for the people? Uh, what I have for the people this week is I am incorporating more foundational stuff and more of a beginner focus, so it's going to definitely be at a nice slower pace. Um, and it's kind of through – uh, we kind of tap into the entire body, not necessarily focusing on um, – any peak pose or anything like that, but just a nice feel good strength practice. And um, if there are push-ups, they're modified, so knees are down. <laughs> if there were to be any push-ups. If there were, their knees are down. So it's a very nice strength building. I enjoy teaching it, so I feel good after doing it. Did you uh, did you do the modified push-ups too? I did. Yeah, absolutely. I am for uh, Kim. Kim can attest when I'm in the gentle flow or some of the modifications, mm-hmm. or if you say grab two blocks on. I like to even put a blanket down on my knee. I, I always like, say to him in the in the gentle flow, it's like um, uh, when we're doing Satubandhasana, or or you can do wheel if you choose. And CJ's got the full uh, the full support underneath and the legs extended. <laughs> I look over there. You know, and, gotta and, gotta and, make it. And, and you know, he's showing a different version. I'm all about it. <laughs> I, I feel like if I'm ever in anyone's class, it should just be understood. If I'm in a class, I'm probably doing like the Shanti modified version of the, you remember in the, it's like the insanity, those videos you got, they got Karen on the side. Hey, watch Karen. If you need a little bit less, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, you got different versions. <laughs> Patrick Shanti. And then on handstands, I'm, I'm Karen doing my thing on yeah. the side, except for the, except for jumping into the handstands and you're like, we, well, uh, well you know, everybody's got their own strengths. Yeah. <laughs> everybody's got their own strengths. <laughs> Yeah, you gotta have your own fun. Absolutely, but no, I'm I'm pumped for the strength and stability. So uh, it's all it's all levels, all ages. Um, I I I've told my I told my little sister, or not my little sister, my older sister to uh, she's got a couple kids. I'm like, throw them in there. Let me see how long they last. Let's get a little maybe video. Lapse. Yeah, I was about to say video lapse. would be great. That'd be a nice post I could do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
One of the one of the last questions we got uh, this week that might be interesting because we have talked about trainings a little bit today is uh, a few students asked when do you think is a good time for someone to take a three hundred hour training? Oh, the advanced training. Yeah. When do I think? When I do think, you think it's a good time? Well, I think it's. I want to say it's different for everyone, but I do think there's a baseline. Like I think to do an, an advanced training, the three hundred hour training. You know, if you're not familiar, there's kind of these two levels in the world of, of what's like the general consideration of yoga teacher training, which is a 200 hour foundational, which would be like your first step. And then on top of that, there's a 300 hour advanced training in the world of yoga Alliance. Um, I think that for, to do an advanced training, you need to have spent some time teaching. Honestly, I think to get the most of, it. I think you can learn for sure, but because there are like teacher development angles to it and certain parts of it, I think that having at least a year of teaching in some capacity under your belt makes a big difference so that some of the conversations and the concept will resonate way more if you've stepped into the teacher's seat and had an experience in any direction so that you can, you can grow from that. I think it's harder because then if you're just layering education on top of education, you don't have the practical experience to apply it on top of. Um, so do I think you'll learn a lot about the practice? Sure. But do I think that by the time you actually start teaching after all that, you're going to remember everything from a thousand hours of training? I think it's a lot harder if you don't haven't spent some time teaching first. I also think just to elaborate on that a little bit, it's good to come into that space with a knowledge, a bit of a knowledge of your own style of teaching Agreed. and how you like to teach. Because mm -hmm. if you don't have any real information on how you like to teach, it's really hard to understand how you would apply a concept because everything in any sort of training environment is really not about the training itself, but about your application of the training and how you, you would choose to use it. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like uh, a while ago when we lived in Portland, uh, we, were, we would take some of these cooking classes as like fun things to do. And I don't remember the topic of any of the cooking classes <laughs> or any of the food that we made besides that they like to throw sugar in fucking everything. <laughs> but it, I do remember a ton about the knife skills and the knife skills has been like a, a direct application for like cutting, you know, every form of, you know, fruit and vegetable imaginable over the last, you know, number of years. Yeah, because the rest doesn't matter until the, you that, can That's do what I'm the saying. Like, like the recipe didn't, like there was yeah. no application of, to the recipe Or techniques that you're like, what am I building this technique upon? I don't have any underlying yeah, techniques. Exactly. But knife skills was something that was like super helpful, like how to hold the knife, mm -hmm. the, the, the pattern to it, different ways you would cut different things, making sure uh, different techniques for making sure you cut things into similar shapes. I mean, I'll never forget practicing my knife skills in your kitchen. Oh, Kim, I do. For a month straight. I did a, a, a month-long uh, Raw Chef certification course, maybe, I don't know, five years Matthew ago. Matthew Kenny? Yeah, yeah Matthew yeah, Kenny yeah. one before they... Yeah. Uh, and so it was this all raw vegan course, and I think every day I had to submit my knife skills practice, and so I had to chop. I remember that. That's when I first moved out here. Uh -huh. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I had to submit pictures and videos of all of my everything with a measuring tape next to it, yeah. and I was like, "Yeah, oh that camera out on the." Oh I remember God. taking so all those photos. Genius. I'm like, "What are you doing?" Yeah, it's like you know, just cutting, cutting another pepper. Yeah. Just cutting, cutting some yeah. more peppers. But I think what you just described is there's a difference between embodied knowledge. Yeah. And just stuff that you took in and you didn't do anything with it. Or you took in and you can repeat, yes. but you don't really know how you would use it. Right. Mm -hmm. It's like the difference between learning and wisdom. Like, yeah. you know, this versus... No, it's really funny because that's something... Um, 
when I did my first 200 I hour, and I did it not with Awakening, I did it with another uh, Baptiste practice, I immediately, we immediately moved to London. And mm. so I wasn't going to have my wonderful time in London um, taken up my weekends by, you know, schlepping the 7 a.m. shift on uh, <laughs> Saturday. Yeah. Wasn't going to do it. You know, I just, you know, I had three years there and all that. So I never, I didn't teach. So then I came back and I taught some privates and that was fun. And they were mostly my group of women friends and that kind of thing. But I agree with you coming from the student end of it. It isn't until you deal with your own weirdness about teaching. And I'm just going to say that mm -hmm. you, you have to get over what it's like to be in front of people, get out, be full, be present in the class mm -hmm. and all of that, then I think you can get a ton out of a 300 hour. Yeah. Because then you're like, you know, you kind of know better what you want to know, right? And mm -hmm. figure out I think that's the works. best sentence you could have it, said, yeah, which is, you know better about what you want to know. Like, yeah. I think that's the, when you have that, that's a great time mm -hmm. to go towards any 300 hours or another one yeah. that you would want yeah. to take. Uh, because you then are more interested in doing the training part of it, which is longer than mm -hmm. you think mm -hmm. when you just click the, you know, when you just sign up, I well, feel. Well, yeah, mm -hmm. stacking up certifications does, does not a, a great teacher make. Mm -hmm. Do you yeah. know what I mean? That mm -hmm. just having those under your belt, unless you can figure out how to apply them to, to what you actually do, right. that's what matters is, that, you know, having all of that knowledge. But if you don't actually know how it works for your teaching style, for your delivery, for your audience, like you could know a lot about something, but that's not actually who you end up teaching. And then it's not very helpful. But I think to that point, I think you could still be a very nervous teacher at the beginning of your thing, but you have some experience. So you kind of are trying to, you know, you're, you're coming to it with a, just a different mindset and a different, like, well, back to you, you're figuring out what you want to know. Mm -hmm. Well, and you, you can take it from looking at it from the standpoint of I'm going to this training to learn for me. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to this training to learn for my students. Mm -hmm. And you don't get, I'm going to, for my students unless you teach students and seen mm -hmm. bodies. Mm -hmm. And for me, that was the biggest thing is like learning from you guys going through the 300. I'd seen enough bodies to where, oh, this is applicable. Yes, to my practice, but in a teaching standpoint, I think so many people go into the mindset, it's not necessarily bad, but going into the mindset, I'm learning for myself and not mm -hmm. learning to become necessarily a better teacher. And there's a huge difference between being better at your own practice and then being better at teaching. I yeah. agree. There's right. a huge, huge difference. Um, it, just also the, well, the awareness to how many different bodies are in the room. Every time you walk into a room to teach, you're looking at this like wildly diverse set of <laughs> skeletons of humans, of people from every single angle. And so I kind of, until you've had that experience where you're teaching and you say something and you look around the room and everyone, this is exactly what we were talking about at the beginning of this podcast. Everyone does the thing, but they all do it in their own way. And they all execute the task that you're offering in a very unique, different way. And every once in a while you look around and you're like, wow, that's not what I expected <laughs> when yeah. I said that, but, but here, here we, we are. are. Yeah. Okay. That was interesting. Mm -hmm. Like that's an experience you have and then you can grow from then and, and you can like witness that uniqueness of, of instruction and body and all the diversity that shows up. But it's really easy before you've done that to just think, okay, this is this, you know, that you've got all these set of guidelines and rules and there's all these hard and fast things and, and really the nuance that comes 
after you're 200, after you start teaching, is just seeing people and trying to apply that everything you've learned on top of that is a whole different experience because now you have all this other input coming up against the knowledge that you have. And then that's, I think, where you really start to figure out, okay, what what is it like to teach? Because it's not just about you reciting things or you know flexing your knowledge. It's about trying to apply it to the actual people who are in front of you. And how they're going to interpret it is not always how you intended it. Well, how many things have come up that just the experiences from teaching, owning, whatever, that you didn't learn about at all it, from a teacher training. Like, it's just Almost. experience. It's mm-hmm. just like you learn, oh, like this happened. I didn't learn. They didn't tell me about this. <laughs> I learned because I taught. And like mm-hmm. you, you yeah. get more, like you said, you've taught in so many different experiences. You both have so many different situations, experiences, sizes, places to where there's not a lot of things that surprise you anymore. To an extent of, there's some things that you're like, wow, okay, I haven't seen that. <laughs> yeah. But like for the most part, you keep a level-headed mind the more that you teach that way too. So you're not as thrown off by other external things. I think the other thing that you guys don't appreciate how much of it you have, all of you, and I'm new, probably the newest to it, is that you actually can see those things. And I think that that's part of what the 300 hour gives you a little bit more of an ability to do if you already have that experience. Because when you first start teaching, you're so in your own head, you almost aren't, maybe 80% of it's in your head and 20% of it is with your students. So you only, um, like it feels like it's going so fast, you can't even really see it. Where for you guys, you're so relaxed into it. It's like when you first start, I guess the best analogy for me is when you're first starting to learn to drive a car, everything is like there's so much to do. And then after you drive a car for a while, you can pretty much handle anything that's coming because you're not focused on all the little details. You know, Mm -hmm. you're in there, you know, and not that things aren't going to come up that you're going to have to react to and do and do whatever. But that those are the I think helping you move from the transition of being even a new teacher with experience to a less new teacher with not only knowledge but that whole um, you know that new level is I think yeah that is, that's the right time mm-hmm. yeah. so too it's nice to have that a little just a little bit under your belt yeah just a little bit yeah yeah, just be ready to take that next step. But uh, speaking of next steps and next things, and essentially we will see you all on the next <laughs> I felt like that's podcast. where I was going. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I was going to try to make some next joke because in relationship to a next Like the MTV show? That's what I was just thinking next. <laughs> that's because we're I the was, same. More, we are the same. You weren't going there? Stepping more, off the bus the next? I was way no? more thinking about that Nicolas Cage movie with Jessica Biel where he can see the future, but then that movie just kind of abruptly ends. What movie is that? How next. do I not know? Oh, it's called, it's called Next. Next. We, we're, it's we're, called Next. But we're such a younger, younger it generation almost, it than you, though. Like there's supposed to be a Next 2. No, you guys just watch TV. There's a di- the <laughs> biggest difference like between MTV? us. Yeah. It, 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 it is like the one show. It came right after the one with the mom. The one, oh, the one oh where yeah, where the parents is, got the to parents, pick the date. They, they, they picked the, the date. The parents got to pick the date. It was a blind date show on MTV where the other person's parents got to choose who you dated. All I'll say is this. This will be the closing note of the show. There are many times in my adolescence where I was quite frustrated that my father was anti us having K 
cable television. We, we didn't so, have cable. We didn't have cable. Mm-hmm. But when I hear y'all talk about some of the trash <laughs> that you were watching. You really weren't missing I, out I, on that, much. That's exactly what I'm Just saying, connection. my man. That's exactly what I'm saying. Sometimes y'all come The up premise with of this show is it was strictly you step off the bus. If you externally look great, you get invited to where the you person don't. could literally say <laughs> next. Right, it was not good <laughs> for mindsets of the young adolescents. So I'm saying, you know, Big Jim was right about a few things, and that sometimes, was one like, sometimes of, we were talking, we were talking about some television shows. Yep. you know, that that's, went on that's like all five I could seasons. Say, I think yeah. he was. I think he won on that one. Yeah. But uh, anyways, y'all, we I will chat with you next laughing. time. Uh, Thank you, as always, so much for tuning in, and uh, we look forward to uh, chatting next week. Peace.